welcome to another episode of Promote the Hell Out of It. My name is Miz, and this is the podcast where I chat to people worth shouting about. I have been, as always, I think I say this every time, excited about releasing this episode, but it's true, I have been. Um, and this is a really special one for me, you know, like... I came across Shane Brady, who is my guest today, an actor and magician, uh, through Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson's incredible films. Um, Shane is in Spring, is the first one I caught him in, although we do have a uh, cool story about Resolution, which is the film that made me discover uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson and then Shane. Um, But I became a fan through that. He kept popping up in their films, The Endless, which is an amazing film, most recently Synchronic. Um, but he also had a role in Doctor Sleep, another film that I love, not related to Moorhead and Benson's releases. Um, so I was excited to chat about everything he's been up to, his uh, mentality coming out of 2020, um, magic, uh, and then all the cool stories that came up along the way that I really did not expect. There is a bunch of links for you to check out in the bio, so please do a bunch of films I would recommend checking out, um, especially if you're into time travel, alternate universes, uh, horror-ish type films, uh, indie films that are really smart. There's some amazing films that Shane's been in. And Shane was just a a real cool guy with some real positive energy. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Please share this episode around. If you want to support it, there is a link underneath for you to buy me a coffee. That would be amazing. Um, Leave us a review, all that stuff. Uh, Check out the links and enjoy this conversation with Shane Brady because I had a blast recording it. Um, Enjoy. So Shane, I'm really, really happy to have you on the podcast. It's an absolute honor. How are you doing? Hey man, it's my pleasure. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's been a a weird year and a bit now, right? But uh, as well as can be expected. (laughs) Weird is an absolute understatement, but yeah, weird. It's been weird for everyone, for sure. Are you you where you expected to be right now? Uh, the the antithesis of uh-huh. where I expected to be physically, emotionally, uh, like I'm currently in Florida um, because of the pandemic, Los Angeles, and I'm not going to steer this anywhere political, but Los Angeles and California is still so shut down yeah. and the affordability of doing things when you cannot work is too high. So yeah, um, yeah. Sneaking down to Florida and this, this is where I grew up. So it's, it's home and it's good. You know, I'm, I'm in, I'm trying to turn a negative into a positive. I'm embracing some time to spend with my family and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And, and when stuff like this happens, sometimes it's, it shows the resilience that people have, especially if you've chosen like creative careers of how quickly you can think of on your feet and, and adapt to the situation. Right. Well, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I'll go on a tangent for a second because I think it's important. I was, I was in Texas, right? Um, so I'm going to be talking and I'll try to do this in a linear timeline. It's, it's so, so good. So good. Right? So I'm in California, pandemic hits, it's March, you know, what have you. You know, I, I booked a couple things at the beginning of the year. Things are like, all right, whatever, we'll take a month off. Yeah. Let's embrace it. Let's eat the bad food. Let's, <laughs> let's drink at night. You know, it'll all be good. It'll all blow over. 
and then April and then May, and then everyone's itching. Like what, what are we supposed to do here? So over the summer, I would bounce back and forth between California and Texas where I sell rainbow home cleaning systems. I sell like, I sell basically vacuums of the future Yeah, as a way to make money. Yeah. (laughs) And and while I was there one day, I was talking to somebody who had no idea that I'm an actor and a creative, and they were they were talking about how uh, they were sick of all of these people just, you know, suckling on the teat of unemployment <laughs> in America, and that they love the pandemic and that they're fine with it. And all these all these actors and artists and all these people, they'll just they'll just sit on their ass and collect unemployment. And the point of this story is, in the background on the TV was Hamilton. Right, the Disney production where they filmed Hamilton yeah. and it's on Disney Plus, and and I go, oh, you you got Hamilton on in the background, and the mom goes, oh, I love Hamilton, it's, <laughs> it's the best. I've watched it five times. My kids watch it; they're obsessed. And I go, so Hamilton is the best of the best of the best that we have right now. It's the best. Everybody loves it. Everyone's going insane. You got to spend three hundred dollars a ticket to sit in the nosebleeds, which means they have the best costume designer, which means they have the best set designer, the best lighting designer, the best people taking your tickets, the best people selling you T-shirts. Everyone's groveling to get there. And then the pandemic hits and all of these ladies and gentlemen are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. They have dedicated their livelihood to one art form, which they have perfected, which has fulfilled them which has sustained uh, a livable income for them and their families in New York. And then they hit a steel wall of nothing. And everybody just folds their arms and is like, well, they should figure out something to do, but don't get rid of the coal jobs in the middle of Pennsylvania because we can't have sustainable things. We got to keep the coal. Like let's, let's save the coal. But everybody else, oh, well. So that's my little tangent. No, no, no. It's not, you know, it fits into a lot of what I talk about. And it's funny because the the podcast I'm releasing on Monday, conversation I had earlier this week, I said the same thing. Uh, There was on the radio, someone who'd played support in, I think it was Kaiser Chiefs. So they'd been playing arena tours. um, And he was on the radio whilst driving a delivery truck around London because the pandemic hit and all the plans that like, a year ago they had all the tours they'd booked in like it's all gone and depending where you are in your career especially like sometimes you're on a trajectory to like getting getting some attention and if that fades you're like oh i've got to basically start start afresh almost correct um in some ways at least yeah so i you mentioned you lived in in london for a while yeah yeah so when uh i was 20 i was studying at florida state university and i saved up money because they have an exchange program where you can uh study theater specifically like diction accents shakespeare yeah uh, in london so i lived uh my i want to make sure i'm not lying i lived on 99 great russell street my tube stop was tottenham court (laughs) i was right up the way from the british national museum uh we would play football american football not (laughs) Like I, I know football, the correct way, oh, let me turn off my phone. The correct so uh, verbiage across the entire planet is obviously soccer. <laughs> uh, but you know, us, us Americans have to take everything for our own. Uh, and it was, it was so incredibly wonderful for a million reasons. First of which was uh, I, I had saved up all this money and my mom and dad, you know, gave me some, a little bit of cash to get to London. But I, but I forgot that like, once you're in London, you need money 
to do anything. Yeah. And I think the exchange rate at the time, uh, somebody can probably look this up. I think it was $2.65 per British pound. So every wow. time I would spend one British pound, I'm actually spending $2.65. And anybody who has been poor in college knows that you're like crying every time you hand it over. Uh, so we came up with clever little tricks, which <laughs> I, I, I'm realizing as I say this out loud, people are like, oh, the American dude came into my country and did these things. <laughs> but, uh, but what is it? Is it Tesco? Is that the yeah. thing? Okay. So we would go to Tesco at like 5 PM, 6 PM. And if like a 24 rack of beer fell over and like a can got dinged, or if like a personal pizza had like a rip in the corner, then the grocery store workers walk around and they find the things that aren't so, there. They put yeah. it, right? They put it in the little discount bin. And so then we would go in and that's like how I survived was that and Subway coupons and poor man sandwiches, which was just like peanut butter and banana and stuff like that. But it was, it was the best I saw. Like you want to talk about energizing your soul. Uh, there was, there was a show called the mask of the red death okay. by, by punch drunk. Uh, site site specific theater and it made all of us want to change our lives all of us just went oh this is what theater is where you can and it's funny to say this now during covid but where you can like physically touch the fellow actors and sometimes actors would bring you into a room and like perform a magic trick for you and i'm a magician so it blew my mind and all of us are leaving like you know anything's possible we got we got to stay in london and we have to make art like this, this. is it, the best uh-huh. and london has a weird thing about it because i think everyone who wants to do music acting art feels like they need to be there it's one of those types of cities but it's so expensive to be there at the same time that it's like an oxymoron of like wanting to be in the most ex- and it's not always been like that there's times where london did have areas that were like affordable for artists and like it's got a great history of that but yeah it gets Mm. expensive um you touched on the fact that you're a magician and i'm really interested in that aspect uh what came first your love of acting or magic uh okay so it's it's not like a linear trajectory it's kind of an amalgamation of things i don't know if you can see on the camera but do you see how that index finger is messed up and there's like a there's a scar going there. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, I got my finger cut off by a boat trailer. Oh. Um, you know, growing Crap. up in Florida, there's uh, the way boat trailers work is if this is the car, those, okay, those people on the podcast try to imagine. <laughs> so on the back of the car, there's like this steel ball that yeah. will tow the boat trailer. Well, I had all my Power Ranger toys set up on the back of my uncle's Jeep and he didn't know that they were on the back of his Jeep. And he usually kept the boat trailer like a little loose. And then he would just lurch the car forward really quickly. And that's what would get the boat off of the wooden blocks. And then we could drive it down to the marina. So he said, go get your Power Ranger toys. And I'm eight years old. I'm like, okay. And I go back there and one Power Ranger toy was stuck in between the cup and the ball. So I put my index finger in there and made like a come here motion to grab the toy at the same time that he didn't know I was behind the car. And he pulled forward and just like peeling a banana, literally like peeling a banana. The tip of my finger was here. That's horrible. Holding on by my skin. So uh, my physical therapy was doing things like grabbing foam softballs and then foam baseballs and then golf balls and popcorn kernels. And uh, at one point they wanted me to shuffle cards because I have no feeling from here forward. Yeah. 
So they wanted me to like shuffle cards and like try to grab a card and move it from one way to another. And since I was psychotic, I was like, oh, well, I want to, I just want to keep doing this and keep practicing this. And it turns out that I'm kind of like a, like a left-handed guitarist in the <laughs> world because magicians use their right index finger for a lot of their like pulls. Okay. Pull cards because they need to feel the sensitive touch between if you're pulling one card or two or three or et cetera, et cetera. And I have to use my thumb. So like when I oh, auditioned for the magic castle, uh, yeah, the magic castle, they were looking at my weird little deformed <laughs> index finger. Meanwhile, I'm doing my pulls with my thumb and they're like, wait, that's actually really cool. I've never seen anybody have to do that. So I had to learn backwards. So I did that. I was into magic. I wanted to play uh, professional hockey, right? Yeah. It, it, I've seen your Iron Tice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it probably never would have happened um, because, you know, I was good in Florida, but you hear like 14 year olds oh, in Canada, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're ripped from their family and put into a school that just does hockey. That's it. Um, but uh, I broke my neck playing hockey at 14. Ouch. Dude, I could go through my list of like surgeries and broken bones and stitches. Uh, separate podcast. Like, separate pod. Yeah, we should. We should do a separate podcast. Uh, I'll tell you about the time I got attacked by a monkey in Thailand too. And oh, nice. Else. Yeah. yeah. We, spent, we spent eight months out in Thailand. Um, well, Thailand, Vietnam, and uh, Malaysia. Is oh, I love, I've, I've not been to Malaysia, but I love the hell out of Thailand and Vietnam. Yes, yeah, so good. I, I know we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. but I want to I hear what, why were you there for eight months? What was your experience? What were you doing? Just a case of, uh, I'll tell you what, we read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Uh-huh. Um, and we were like, yeah, we've always keep putting stuff off. Let's just put our stuff in a locker and, and go out there and just do it. We, we had remote jobs and we were like, let's not tell anyone. Let's just go and see what happens. If we last a month, we'll just come back. Um, and yeah, we lasted nine months. Uh, and for some reason, our stuff, we were living out in Barcelona. Our stuff's still in a locker in Barcelona because we did pet sitting for a year in the UK when we got back and then COVID hit. So our stuff's still out there. It's been three years. Oh my God. I, but see, I, I love that though. And, and I find that when I go to a country where I do not speak the language and where my phone doesn't work and it's the only time that I really grow and it's the only time that I really appreciate what I have. You know what I mean? Because it's very, it's, it's very simple to like wake up and you're depressed because of COVID and you're like, ah, I gotta be thankful for what I have. But like, I mean, you, you probably have more stories than me, but I remember there was a, a morning when I woke up with the sun and I had like uh, an energy drink in my hand and my girlfriend was still asleep. And I was, I was looking out at the, the street in Kanchanaburi and there were these people that like just literally live in huts, like yeah. literal huts with literal tin roofs and the smile, you know, Thailand, they call it the land of smiles, yeah. right? Or the country of smiles. And everyone is smiling from ear to ear. And some of these people, like their livelihood is they just like sell chicken on the side of the road, or they just, you know, drive their trucks and pick people up from the airport and hope to, you know, tuk tuk them all around. And, and, and I don't say this as like, I am higher status and they are lower status. I'm saying this to articulate that happiness is a mindset. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, 
And, and it's, and it's when you go to those countries and you know, the fact that you were there for nine months, if it was a shit place to be, you wouldn't have oh, been there for nine months. They're really cool places. And, and yeah, you're bang on. It's the, it's how you learn to see things differently. Yeah. You learn to appreciate things and you learn to, to realize that that maybe having a nine to five job that you absolutely hate isn't worthwhile it's better to maybe not have as much money but do something you love like all all that kind of stuff comes from just putting yourself in weird situations and seeing the world from a different perspective right yeah and and you have to because there's i'm I'm actually curious weigh in on this do you find that in england people prefer to stay in their own bubble because you guys are like right next door to Germany and France and Ireland, right? And because I know in, in America, I find that if you go to like Alabama or Texas or Minnesota, like they're still worldly, people will still travel, but you will find more people who are like, nope, I'm good. I never need to leave America. Yeah. I never need to leave this spot. I'm good. I don't need to learn. I don't need to grow. Why would you ever go to Thailand? don't people get robbed in thailand and i'm like that you get that a lot you get you know that I mean? a lot I'm like yeah. wait everyone in texas has a gun like that's Dude, scary the like threat <laughs> level on like the uk and the us because we checked it when we went out was like level like at the highest level for like terrorist threats and yeah. everything yeah yeah so like all of the other countries were like the level below and yeah. you know, everyone's like oh but isn't that dangerous and you're like do you realize where we live? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not British. I'm, I'm from the UK. I'm from, I'm from Spain, mm-hmm. um, the Canary Islands, Tenerife specifically. Um, but I've lived over here a long time. And I think that it's, a, I think Britain has a weird perspective. They do travel because it's had a history of, of traveling and doing some horrific stuff whilst they're at it. Um, yeah. But I think this there's very much like holiday traveling. Like we go and we go to the nice places, stay in a nice hotel. And I think it's only maybe younger generations that are breaking that mold. Um, But yeah, it's, it's difficult to generalize, right? Because there's definitely a, a feeling of like, you remember the people who have the, like that feeling of, I don't want to go anywhere. Those are the people that stick in your mind, but Mm -hmm. I've definitely met a lot of people in England who want to travel and love traveling and, love every aspect about it um that's good that's reassuring yeah it's 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 a bit more depressing if you read the news i think if you just focus on how the media portrays things and how they portray other things it can be quite a gloomy place well and and it's also a thing of uh i saw i saw this cartoon or you know like when you read the newspaper and it's just like a a, a window cartoon that type of thing and it was a king and a peasant atop of a castle and on the on the fields, there was 10,000 people and half of them had pitchforks and half of them had torches and they were coming to storm the castle. And the peasant said, King, aren't you worried? And the king goes, no, all I have to do is convince the torch people that the pitchfork people want their torches. <laughs> it's so true. Right. It's, and it's so, so true. true because so, so much of the world is based in fear. And and I and I don't just say this. I really don't like talking about politics because I feel like it, it like I've never been into politics ever. And I feel yeah. like all it ever does is separate people. Like, you know, if, if a building is burning, no one's going to run in and be like, did you vote for Trump? Eh, 
no, not going to happen. Right. And also like people who vote for Trump aren't all racist white supremacists, but at the same time, everyone who voted for Biden is not socialist and wants to live for free forever, you know? Um, But it's a, it's a thing where so much of the media is just fear. That is it, dude. Yeah. The thing, the thing that keeps people on the TV is the pitchfork people are coming and they want your torch or the torch people are coming and they want your pitchfork. And it's weird because it's such an old repeated lie and it's such uh-huh. an old repeated rhetoric and it still works. People still yeah. like, and we're at a point in history where there's, and we've gone on a massive tangent, I'm aware, but that's part of what a podcast is and why it's yeah, nice, exactly. nice sometimes, right? Yeah. Especially at times like these where you need to, like having conversations with people's nights, nice. <laughs> like you yeah. need to chat to people. Um, but yeah, I, I, I find it odd like that, that people have access to the internet, know more about history than they ever have. And they still don't cotton on to the fact that we're being had. Like, which kind of brings us full circle to the beginning of the tangent, which was if you Google, is Thailand safe? Should I travel there? You will probably get websites that say, no, do not go there. It is dangerous. If you look at reviews on TripAdvisor, you will see fellow people who travel say, it's amazing. Maybe just don't pet the monkeys when you're in Coconut <laughs> Island uh, and you won't get bit, you know? Um, but it's, yeah, you know what it is. Like there, there's, a, there's a wonderful thing that happens when you don't speak the language, you make eye contact with someone and the two of you are just trying to figure out how to order food and they're trying to help you order food and you're like, I Googled how to say like, come some you know, like, like yeah. little things like that. Like, Oh, we got there. We did it. Success. You know? And it's like, people just want to be people, man. That's it. Okay. So what we're talking about magic. Okay. Ma- magic and acting. Um, so I break my neck when I'm 14. I miss my, basically the entire freshman year of high school. And the only thing I could really do without puking because I had vertigo really bad and I couldn't really stand up without people helping me. Um, I have wonderful, wonderful friends where like each kid got to take a day off of school to just be with me 24 seven. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. I have fantastic, fantastic friends. Um, and, uh, the only things I could really do were shuffle cards, uh, type on a computer and play guitar. But the thing, when you have a, when you have a neck brace, you're stuck here. So if you want to turn left, your entire body has to turn left. If you want to look down, you have to like lean oh, from your hips. Terrible for the guitar. Right? Well, here's the thing. You can't see the guitar and you can't see cards and you can't see the keyboard. Oh. So because of this, I'm a lightning fast typer and I never have to look at the keyboard. I can shuffle with the best of them and manipulate cards and I never have to look at the cards and I can play guitar and I never have to look at the guitar. That's ace. So so skills. I, right. Well, well, like I, I teach kids acting in Los Angeles and whenever kids want to learn how to play guitar, I'm like, look, man, uh, all I did was learn how to play Metallica songs and I never looked at the guitar. That's it. So pick a band you like, go read tabs, don't look at the guitar and figure it out. At least you're not telling them they have to break their neck. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> break you your neck. Break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> or like buy a neck brace and stuff. But yeah, don't break your neck. So so this this like l- interesting life change happened to me at such a young age. I was like 15. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do? I wanted to be a hockey player. And um, if you can't tell, I love talking and I love telling stories. 
And so when I was a senior in high school, I, you know, I kind of floated around just being a kid for a minute. When I was a senior in high school, my buddies were like, you should join um, the theater group, which <clears throat> I, I have said this openly before, uh, because of the hockey culture that I grew up in, and I'm going to use the abrasive word, uh, to, to be a straight man and do theater meant that you were a fag, not yeah. gay, but the derogatory, like you were a fag, not the cigarette, but a fag, which is a bad yeah. word in America, right? Um, and, and again, I say that sensitively because that is the person I was literally more than half a lifetime ago. You know, I'm 33 now. And I was resistant to that. And the person that helped me breach that was Aaron Moorhead. Me and him oh, became cool. friends, right? Me and him became friends when I was like 15 or so. And when I joined the uh, theater group, I thought he was a theater nerd. And I was like the cool kid who like used to play hockey and was like a mini celebrity because I broke my neck and I would like drink alcohol sometimes. And I had a beard <laughs> at a young age. Um, and there was this play called Tales of Trickery where they needed a male storyteller to do all of these different voices. And uh, I was like, all right, well, I'll just talk. And so I was the only person in the play that spoke and everyone else was puppets behind me. And that's what got me into the fold. I learned that theater and art was this wonderfully inclusive, supportive, helpful, amazing place in which the culture of hockey, which is still wonderful, you know, hockey is us versus them. You know, I think sports are sports. Us yeah, them. most. Yeah. And whenever it's us versus them, it's very easy to look at the opposition and just spit vitriol and, and you know, have like mean spiritedness in your heart. And then when it when it came to theater, we had, you know, like the little theater competitions that you go to in high school and stuff. And all of the other schools and all the other shows, everyone was just supportive, man. It was <laughs> the first time in my life that everyone was just supportive. Of course, people want to win. But um. I saw a, a high school do Susical the Musical, and I wept. <laughs> I wept at this, like, 17, 18-year-old high school production of Susical the Musical, which is the dumbest shit ever. And there's, there's a line in the play where there's, a, there's an elephant bird, and, and the, like, the elephant sits on the egg, Horton the elephant sits on the egg, and, and when the bird hatches, it's half bird, half <laughs> elephant. Yeah. And, and the bird is like, you can teach it land, and I'll teach it sky. And I'm, like, sitting in the back, like, covering my <laughs> mouth, just weeping, being like, that's so fucking beautiful. Like, and, uh, and I didn't want to be undeclared when I went to college. I, I still wasn't fully in i thought i was in i knew i was in but again i was resistant because of yeah. my uh like hidden homophobia and then i get to college um and there was this wonderful professor there named guy molnar who and the point of the story is he was he was a uh, a gay professor and i actually like apologized to him i want to say like three years into college and luckily I like we we only had wonderful wonderful experiences but I remember like watching Milk with Sean Penn and messaging him being like hey man I I now am realizing that like it's because of you and everyone else in my support system 
that I realized I inadvertently was like shutting people out. And if someone was different than me, um, I, I looked at them and like sneered my nose and was like, eh, that's weird. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to play in that pool of jello, you know? And, and so that's why when, when people are like resistant to change or, or like things are incited with fear, like I see that in myself, you know, from, from an earlier age and, and like art helped that and healed that. And then I've never looked back. And, and I never looked back and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I went in, you know, a hundred percent at the, uh, but my, my mom and dad have always been supportive of it to a point <laughs> because they're like, you should for sure do acting, but like also maybe be a doctor just, <laughs> you know, yeah, like completely like, do something just in case. <laughs> and, uh, that's not me. So, you know, it's been it's my, my, my life and my career since I graduated college has been like a heart monitor, right. Where it's like deep up really awesome. And then doop, up, I think I'm dead. And then it levels <laughs> out and everything's okay. And then, doop, yeah. doop, doop, you know, so I'm on the way up because COVID was a down deep. It's tough, man. It's yeah, yeah. it's tough. Um, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because it takes loving something to keep at it right it takes mm-hmm. wanting to do and to your life to be in that trajectory to have a side hustle and to have to have another job that enables you to do what you love um yeah do you think it is what you mentioned like what happened when you were young and kind of grabbing on to that stuff and it changing you as a person that makes you want to continue to do it even though economically it doesn't seem always like the the first option yeah absolutely um now i say this saying that i still have not figured it out um but there is this there's this golden pool of warmth that is touched when you attain it and when you have it right like uh you know we we i have a family dog named angel that we just had to put down not even a week ago i'm really sorry and Thanks, man. It's it's awful because yeah. she's she's only she was only twelve and she just like got cancer and within three That's weeks, so sad. It's like yeah, yeah. Uh, so my mom has been absolutely destroyed, and even my mom is sitting here. You know, my mom, the nurse, who as you know, she's supportive of me, of course, in the industry, but at the same time, is like maybe be a nurse or a doctor, right? She's like, what am I doing? Why am I sitting here doing this? Life is too short. I should just quit yeah. and like move to here and go do this and. And I think that voice is always calling us. And I think that voice is always like, you know, it's like the, the, the siren in the water being like, come join me. And I think the people who follow that voice, um, you will eventually be celebrated for it. And the people who have not followed that voice are sad that they let the joy within them die, that they let the kid within them die. And and I think they want it too, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's why it, it brings me so much happiness in, in, so in California, after college, I, I went to Chicago for a couple of years, did professional theater. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I met a gentleman named John D'Aquino and he went to Florida state university when he was in college and he has had a very successful career in Los Angeles. And he had just started a school for children. 
to teach them acting. It was like, I'm probably lying, but I think it was like two or three years old or something. And I had his phone number from when he <laughs> did a, uh, like a talk back at Florida state and, you know, like three or four years had gone by and I called the phone number and I went over to his house and uh, he had an audition the next Thursday and called me and goes, have you ever worked with kids? And do you know anything about improv? And I said, actually, yeah, I just graduated second city improv and IO Olympics improv. And like, I'm a nerd magician that makes balloon animals. <laughs> and he goes, I know we just met. Is there any way you could like start this improv class for kids? And then I'll be back after my audition and I'll take over. And I was like, sure. And I ended up teaching the whole class because LA traffic, what have you. And uh, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, which took forever and was a very short sure, yeah. story, but like over the course of a couple months, he was like, all right, let me bring you in the fold. And, um, so I've been lucky enough that the eight years that I've been in Los Angeles, I haven't had to serve tables or bartend. I've gotten to work with kids That's awesome. and there's this, there's this like really wonderful thing, uh, you know how some people like have never found love, but somehow they're always able to like hook everybody else up. Yeah, and, like, for sure. <laughs> like they have the Midas touch where like everything they touch, it's like everyone else falls in love. That's kind of like me in Hollywood where like <laughs> I've, I've been good in Hollywood, but like I'm not a series regular yet. Like Jamie Dornan is way more famous, like, you know, like that sort of thing. And uh, but I, I could rattle off kids names that are all just like superstar. <laughs> I have been lucky enough, right, to be to be a little part of yeah. them at an early age being like, Hey Shane, can you coach me for this audition? And then I help them through that audition and then they book a very big gig. And then they incorrectly come to me and say, thank you, Shane, you did so much <laughs> to help me get there, which is correct. But like, you still need the talent and the acumen yeah. and to, and to deliver it in the room. But it is, it is a really, really, really cool feeling to know that I'm, I'm, always in the fold i'm always reading scripts i'm always working on things because like if you want to get better at something teach it <laughs> yeah you're gonna get better yeah. man like but i think the attitude you've got is also about um doing something for the love of it like yeah being able to to feel happy when others do well and being able to actually enjoy that feeling is, is when you're not only focused on making money, but you're focused on enjoying the actual, the journey. Um, yeah. And I think it's really important because it, it, it gets missed a lot. It's very easy to feel jealous at everything. And that doesn't, that just brings resentment. And then you feel miserable. Like it doesn't do anyone any yeah. good. Nothing's and, changed for that. And I say that, and I'll, I'll get closer to the mic. I say that I need to take my medicine more than <laughs> because yeah me too for sure right if you don't think that i've been like i still play hockey for fun you know in beer leagues if you don't think i haven't like gone to go play hockey and i'm like in the locker room with the boys and i'm like i just had an argument with a 16 year old because they don't want to do another season of the show and they just went they showed up to the coaching in a tesla (laughs) i'm driving this piece of shit and they're they're like I don't want to do my Disney show for another season. It's like shut up, you're making twenty two grand an episode, you punk. You know, like I have for sure had those days at the yeah. same time. But you know, and then and then you breathe and you play hockey and you get in a couple fights and then you feel better. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, knowing Aaron Moorhead. Um, 
I'm interested and we can skip through this, but I know that you've kind of made fun of it on, on your website before. Um, uh-huh. First film resolution. Um, yeah. What happened there? Because okay. uh, I've seen some clips. <laughs> yep. Okay. So resolution. Um, I was living in Chicago when Aaron Moorhead filmed resolution with his uh, writing and directing partner, Justin Benson. Um, this, this is a little bit of a game of telephone and he'll, he'll probably have to correct me, but it is my <laughs> understanding that they were both interns at Ridley Scott and Associates. Um, they, they were not having as f- fulfilling as a time as they thought they would, which happens to everybody who's an intern. You know, you think you're going to be on set every day and you're driving tapes yeah. back and forth and getting coffee, right? Happens to everybody. So um, Justin Benson had saved up some money and he goes, uh, Hey, I want to write this or I want to film this movie. And, uh, he's like, but you know, I need a lead guitarist. So I need Aaron Moorhead, the guy who knows how to f- be a director of photography and edit it and everything. And Aaron said, deal, but we got to be co-directors. We'll be co-directors. You're the writer. I'm the director of photography. We both direct. Let's try it. If it burns and crashes, no muss, no fuss. We both go back to doing our separate lives. And so at the tail end of them filming Resolution, I want to make sure I'm not lying. At the tail end of them filming Resolution, I believe uh, there was like a pickup shot or a promo that we were shooting. And so I was at that point living in Los Angeles and I was actually living on Aaron Moorhead's couch, (laughs) couch for three months before I got my own place. And we went there and we shot it and we had like an hour to kill. And Aaron and Justin were like, what if? Shane was in the corner of the movie the whole time. And we just like improved this thing of me just like messing around and being like, hey guys, I've been here the whole time. Like what? It was really odd. It was really odd. I watched it. It was really cool too. Um, But, but like that's, that's also who Aaron and Justin are like, like, uh, you know, I didn't know Justin until I was 25 and the second you meet Justin, he's like, oh, he's also somebody that has just been struggling. He was also studying to be a doctor. If I'm not wrong, I think he like went through medical school. Oh, wow. Like legitimately almost done with medical school and uh, was like, ah, we have enough doctors. Maybe we need one more indie filmmaker. <laughs> and, you know, he, he spent his however much money uh, they spent to make the movie. And uh it went to Tribeca and it blew up, you know, everybody loved it because without you in it, <laughs> right, right. Without me, in it. Without me in it. we don't need, especially in today's day and age, two white guys we can live with, but three, come on. Right. Uh, no. So, uh, that's an obvious joke. Everybody, come on. You gotta make fun of yourself. So, um, it, you know, it, it blew up on the indie circuit, but they also, um, they went to, every film festival that they possibly could and stayed up until six in the morning, every single one of them shaking hands and hanging out and partying and being cool. And that's, that's another way that they made a name for themselves. Yeah. Is, is by hustling. And I'll tell you what, no one has ever had to light a fire under Aaron Moorhead or Justin Benson's ass (laughs) ever, ever. If anything, people are like, bro, do you need some water? Like, like the engine is running too hot. You got to calm down. Um, and, uh, so, you know, they go and they do resolution. And then when they went to film spring, 
um, now that I'm living in Los Angeles, they were kind enough to, I think the way it was worded was they go, we, we got a little bit of money to go shoot this movie in Italy, but we have to do everything to the T. Like we, like we can't order extra sugar or we're going to go over budget. Right. So, um, they said, uh, you, you're going to have to fly yourself to Italy, which was fine because it's like, Oh, I get to go hang out. Right. (laughs) So I I got to go hang out in Italy for like 20 days, but my character only needed to film for like two or three of them. But the thing is, is my character was exterior and we were on the Amalfi coast in October where it rains all the time. So the thing was, they were like, if SAG knew that you were here for 20 days, we have to pay you for 20 days. So we just have to pretend that you were only here for like two. (laughs) And I was like, so I get to hang out in Italy with my friends and just like be the world's coolest production assistant and get you guys whatever you need and eat free Italian food. That sounds like a deal. You know, like that absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Have you ever been to Italy? Uh, when I was a kid, like under the age of three, I can't really remember it. It's definitely uh, on the plans. Oh. Or we would have, we would have probably already gone if it wasn't for uh, last year. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh But yeah, I, I actually rewatched Spring this morning um, before watching this uh, and made sure I, I knew who Brad was and what scene it was, which is a very memorable scene. I don't want to spoil it because I'm obviously going to be encouraging everyone to watch all these oh, films. Okay. Um, oh, damn, damn. Because but it looks like such a gorgeous place. It is a gorgeous place. I want, I kind of want to tell you a little like behind the scenes, but yeah, it for sure. For sure. Away. No, it's okay. It's okay. People will just have to suck it out. They should have watched it by now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they should have. Okay. So the, uh, our, our makeup gentleman was dave i'm gonna forget his last name but he he like he uh also done star trek and stuff but his name is dave his last name starts with an s i think it's like serene or something like that um italy we he had shipped like four boxes to italy for us to film and those boxes had like wigs and all these prosthetics and stuff we needed and they only sent one box they were holding the other three at customs um because they were like there's actual human hair in here and there's some weird customs thing between america and italy where like you can't ship hair because they think it's drugs or something (laughs) you know again and like this is a lot of just like yelling in italian and then saying the english translation to our producer so um they they he finally gets the boxes the first like six days of filming he just had to figure it out you know, Whoa. and we're having to turn Nadia into a freaking lizard monster half the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like, that's, that's another thing you want to talk about guerrilla filmmaking. You can plan as much as you want, but you, you become a real filmmaker when your prosthetics aren't there. And how do we make this girl look slimy and like a lizard monster and whatever, you know, you use a lot of soap. Um, <laughs> but there, he stayed up all night literally not sleeping because the day before we shot the scene where i tried to sexually assault nadia as she's turning into a lizard monster i had a cod piece that had an actual prosthetic penis and and he painstakingly was putting pubic hair in this cod piece and painstakingly make it so that the penis could like get ripped off (laughs) and and the thing is is like when we filmed it it, it looked so bad and so absurd 
like it no uh, longer was a scary moment yeah, yeah. you know it was just this thing of like ah, it doesn't work so it didn't make the movie and i know like after it came out dave is like i spent 14 hours oh, dude. putting pubic hair in a cod piece for something that didn't go and he's like two weeks ago he was like putting makeup on will ferrell but like that's this industry you hear about it with stuntmen don't you who do like crazy stunts over and over and like and then it doesn't make it and it's so gutting Uh so gutting but that's also why when you're in film school they say you have to have somebody who was not on set edit your movie because they will be able to see all of the mistakes that you won't be able to see because you were on set and you were like we finally got the fan to work and the and the fog machine were and like the dogs finally shut up and the kid like hit his mark and he didn't hit his mark in the previous 17 takes and stuff. But the editor will be like, look, man, it doesn't work. Sorry. <laughs> it, like it just doesn't work. And what about the atmosphere? Um, especially you, you can use the uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson films as an example, but like mm-hmm. the atmosphere of working on a smaller independent film compared to as the budget goes up and the production levels up, does it really change the atmosphere and like the enjoyment of the experience? Sadly, it does. It does. Um, Well, okay, let me be very specific. It doesn't change the enjoyment of the experience. Um, It's it's the, you know, the whole thing of like one bad apple spoiled the bunch. And like the reason, the reason why we have speed limits is because one person drove 130 miles an hour and crashed into somebody. So they go, all right, well now you can't drive more than 45 on that road. So there are unions and laws and rules put in place to protect everybody. And when you are making an indie film, um, like, like the endless is a perfect example because Aaron and Justin still are directors and directors are photography and writers, but there are also many times where they are in front of the camera. So when they're in front of the camera, the majority of the work fell on David Lawson and, and sometimes it would fall on myself or other people in the crew to like, Hey, can you just help for a second, move these lights or help for a second, grab this or, or, uh, we're at the bottom by the campfire. Shane, can you just run to here grab the sharp thing, bring it down, you know, like uh, everyone on that crew was amazing, but like Kira Powell and Tate Ellington from The Endless, we started making fun of Tate Ellington towards the end because of how amazingly helpful that dude was. (laughs) And he had like just left his like very big deal show. Uh, He got killed off of his very big deal show and he's here making $125 a day on The Endless, just constantly being like, Hey guys, uh, do we need this light to go over here? And my, and my beautiful wife and I just, uh, you know, we brought our kid and we, you know, we bought apple pie for everybody. So, you know, everyone enjoy like Tate. <laughs> I can love that guy. Um, but so it's, it's this, it's this family feel and this feeling of accomplishment with, with the endless. And then we go to shoot synchronic and we're, we're trying to have that same feel and that, you know, that, uh, I, I go to New Orleans. I'm there for a couple of days filming my thing where I get to take drugs and die. And I, Aaron and Justin were like, hang out for the week. Like, like they, they call me their good luck charm. They're like, just hang out for a week. Uh, be on set. You're a fun presence. You know, do a magic trick if people are in a bad <laughs> mood, whatever. Right. But when I'm there, I'm trying to help art department and I'm getting yelled at. 
because I'm not part of the art department union. And if I, if I physically affix something to the wall with tape and Anthony Mackie walks by it and trips on it and the yeah. tape blinds him and he stabs himself in the eyeball, they, they can't protect that because me, Shane, the guy that's not part of the art department, hung up uh, a poster with tape. Furthermore, I can't physically hand Jamie Dornan a beer bottle with the plastic on top before a scene because what if I poisoned him? I'm not a part of the props unit. So then I'm like, okay, what if I can help just bring this cart from here to there? Well, no, you're not a teamster. You can't do that. Okay. Wow. What if I can just help like put the cake down? Well, you're not part of food and crafty and this is food. You can't, and you got to make sure you're all sterilized and everything. So it was this, it was this thing where, uh, how, how do I explain it? You're, you're probably going to have a better idea of how to explain what I'm saying, but like my, my, my friends, have they they have grown up they're now they're now in this 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 realm where their movies are now millions of dollars instead of tens or hundreds of thousands and and the the baby bird can get its own food now you know what i mean like that thing of no for and, sure and, that's, and that, that's a horrible metaphor that makes it sound like the only way that they've ever done anything is me that is not the no. intention here that is not the intention but like i i've always gotten to be hands-on yeah. and be helpful and then on synchronic I was just there for another four days, just kind of like doing a really good job of telling jokes by the coffee, you know? Yeah. And so I guess everyone's busier. Everyone's got more to do. So it's less mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's weird stuff like that because you're always trying to, I, I, I play in like punk bands and stuff. And I find that it's always like that scenario of the friends I've got in bigger bands are always complaining about the lack of freedom they've got. And and how it's not as enjoyable. And then if you're playing punk rock to 200 people at a show, you're not making enough money. So mm -hmm. you're always kind of chasing that kind of feeling of being somewhere where the, the feeling is right and it feels good and it's enjoyable, whilst at the time, same time trying to progress and, and that feeling's easily lost. It's a yeah. really weird kind of line to try and find. I think that's why I think there's a saying in Hollywood, if I'm not butchering it, that's like, do one for them and one for you. Like, yeah. you know, if you're Jim Carrey, fart and chase the penguins <laughs> down the hill, but then yeah. do your movie that fulfills you it's artistically true. like it's Eternal true. Sunshine, you know? It's true. Yeah, I love Eternal Sunshine. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad to think that he, he wasn't enjoying that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Damn it, you've ruined that whole film for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, so... Let's talk about incorporating magic into acting. Do sure. you now go out trying to find roles that have a magician or does it sometimes get written for you because you can already do magic? Uh, I guess both. There's, here's, here's the main thing about Hollywood that, that I really try to articulate to people and I really try to explain. Hollywood is this amorphous blob that is constantly changing colors and shapes and sizes and textures. And the second you look at it and go, that is a triangle made <laughs> out of steel, you wake up and you search for the triangle made out of steel and it is a cactus shaped balloon now. You know what I mean? Things are always changing, always, always, always. So when it came to the endless, Aaron and Justin had been spending two years trying to make their next feature where they would go and have meetings and 
people would say, we love your work. We would like you to direct our films. And Aaron and Justin would say, we would like to direct our own films. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was like this very respectful thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, we'll see you soon. Um, and so they ended up making the end list being like, all right, well, we'll just do it ourselves again, you know? And so in that case, Justin and Aaron said, all right, what weapons do we have at our disposal, right? They knew they had me, they knew they had David Lawson, they knew they had a location, they knew they had a couple of things, and then you figure it out from there. Yeah, It's kind of like how uh, Dr. Seuss wrote Green Eggs and Ham <laughs> and became successful because his buddy said, I bet you can't make a book using only 50 words and have it be a bestseller. <laughs> so the other thing with Hollywood is you have to have things that will create distinction. You must, like if you go on my IMDb, there's not much there that's just like me, Shane, the actor. I'm usually the guitarist, the hockey player, or the magician. So when I got my first theatrical agent, I, and, and you'll hear tens of thousands of versions of this story. There was a person who was getting interviewed to be a part of that agency. Um, I'm no longer with them, so I'm just going to call it <laughs> the agency. Um, and you can hear through the walls because all of California is made out of fucking plywood. Like you can hear through <laughs> every wall at every audition or meeting you have ever been in. And the, the agent said, I'm so sorry. We just, we have too many of your type. We just don't need another like mid aged Caucasian yeah. guy. Like, you know, it's like, it's fine. That's what it was. So I'm like sitting there going, well, I'm a mid-aged <laughs> or like mid-20s Caucasian guy. So when I went into the room, they said, tell us a little bit about yourself. And for some reason, the first words out of my mouth were, uh, well, I know you probably have a million guys like me. You don't need another, you know, athletic build, mid-20s Caucasian guy. But if anything lands on your desk that is hockey, magic, guitar, put me in there and I'll book it. And they were like, huh? I was like, I played hockey my whole life. I played guitar my whole life. And I'm an expert up close sleight of hand card magician. So if any of those things, things land on your desk, put me in them and I'll book it. And the first things I booked in Hollywood <laughs> were go on with Matthew Perry as a hockey player. Uh, the crazy ones with Robin Williams as a guitarist, yeah. uh, kicking it, a Disney show yeah, as a so. magician, uh, an old dominion commercial as a hockey player. Like I was, everything I booked had nothing to do with acting for the first like two or three years. <laughs> But that that is such an important, important distinction that you have to make. Anyone who is trying to start out in Hollywood, you need to understand that you are you are going to the casino and you are gambling. So to be upset that you have been sitting at a slot machine for five hours and you haven't won anything and somebody sits down next to you, puts in one nickel and wins the car. That's what Hollywood is. So, and it's very easy to get upset. You're like, well, that's not fair. I've just pumped 10 grand into this slot machine and I've been sitting here for five hours and I got nothing. Sometimes it's the luck of the draw, like me being friends with Aaron Moorhead. And so he's friends with Justin Benson. And then he writes me a role in the end list because he knows I do magic, you know? Um, But then when it comes to Dr. Sleep, see, this is another thing that's going to get people, I'll, I'll tell you how I got Dr. Sleep. And people are going to be upset being like, well, how, oh, let me know if the audio gets bad for a second. There's a lawnmower. It's all right. See, it's good now. So, so with Dr. Sleep, um, things, things were not going the best for me. And so for my 30th birthday, I put on a suit and I got 24 dozen donuts and I drove to the bottom of Santa Monica and I mapped out going to 24 different casting agencies. And I, 
tried to get into their office and deliver donuts and say, my name is Shane. You don't know me. Hockey magic guitar. Here's my resume. I've done a lot of big deal things. Um, and I would, I would love to work for your office. You know, I'd love it if you called me in some agencies had, or some casting places had casted me before. So it was nice to like refresh them and stuff. Uh, but the funny thing is I only got into 21 offices and of those 21 offices, seven of them gave me wonderfully warm reception. And they were like, that's a really cool thing. And happy birthday. And thank you for the donuts. We're like, yes, we'll take your resume. Looking forward to it. The other seven were like, who are you? What is this? Nah, donuts. No, no, no. Does anyone want donuts? Who doesn't you want, want donuts? All right, you can, you can leave them. You can leave the donuts. Who cares? And the other seven, like, just like you would hear, are like, get out. Who are you? We don't uh, want your donuts. No, we don't. No, we don't want. This isn't how it works. No, you get your agent to book you. The th- get out of here. You know, um, I for sure cried like three times that day. Oh, uh, dude. So when, as it pertains to Doctor Sleep, um, engine casting. Yeah, wait it's bad for that. Now, isn't it? Yeah. Wait for it. Wait for it. Um, so engine casting. The ladies at engine casting are absolutely incredible if every casting agency was like the ladies at engine casting hollywood would be the wonderful place that i was <laughs> explaining earlier when like i went to college and learned what it was like to have like inclusive happy people wanting to make art like that is what those ladies are um morgan mish kelly and they're awesome um so i i go to drop off donuts for them it was like super super quick you know, they were, they were, they were one of the, what I perceived as like, oh, donuts, yeah, sure. Okay, nice. Like, but, but, sorry, we're just busy. We're doing casting. Thank you so much. Right. And uh, Kieran Foy, who is a friend of mine, who is a director in Hollywood, um, did a movie called Eli that yeah. the girls at Engine Casting casted. And so I was reaching out to Kieran and I was like, hey man, not for nothing. I'm trying to get some work. Do you know of any casting people? And he goes, oh, let me put you in touch with the girls at Engine. And, uh, I was emailing back and forth with this girl Morgan there for jokingly, I think it was like two months where they were like, yeah, come over. Ah, oh, we're too busy. All right, come see us. Ah, oh, we're so sorry. Too busy. And then she emails me one day and goes, Hey, there's a project I can't tell you about, but I remember you saying you're a magician. Do you want to come audition to be this magician? And I was like, great. She was like, awesome. We'll put you towards the end of the day. That way you can audition. And we finally can like just chat for a second because we know that we've been trying to get a hold of you. Um, so I go there and there are, um, I knew through the grapevine that they were obviously, uh, if, if you've seen Dr. Sleep, there's this rabbit yeah. production trick, right? Yeah. Where like nothing in the hat, da-da, now there's a yeah. rabbit. And, uh, I do not own a rabbit. I had never done that trick before. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know what, when we're done, I need to send you the video of me practicing this trick. It, the please. night the night before my audition because my roommate came home drunker than i've ever seen him and there's a video of me practicing my trick to him really drunk it's really amazing funny. yeah i want to see right? that so so i go in there and the sides were just like two lines right it was just like a page and i don't know what movie it is no one's telling you it's the sequel you still, to the you still don't know right i don't know i don't know if it's a comedy i don't know if it's a drama oh, i know dude. nothing I just have a piece of paper that says there's a magician at a four-year-old's birthday party, (laughs) which by the way, are most auditions. It is exceedingly rare that you get the whole script. Most auditions, especially the big deal movies, you know, it's a big deal movie or TV show when they don't tell you anything. Yeah. And you're like, I have no context. So I had a stuffed bunny, a hat that was too small. And I brought like fire and balloon animals and my card tricks and stuff. And I walk in there and I never met them before. And I go, 
very respectfully, I was like, hey, ladies, I don't know how to do these sides because like I've done a bunch of kids parties as a magician. The only way I know how to do this is to do it like I literally am at a four-year-old's birthday party. So if you will just humor me, can I audition just like going for two minutes? Just let me throw in my riffraff. Let me do what I like. Just give me, and, yeah. and they're like looking at each other, but they're smiling like, go ahead, do whatever you want. So I do whatever I want. I improv the whole thing. Uh, I just make sure that I cue the girl in like, oh, here's the rabbit. There you go. You get the rabbit. Happy birthday, yada, yada. <laughs> they, they had me do a take two. Then they had me do a card trick. No callback, no nothing. Like three weeks later, I get the email saying I got the gig. So this is where it gets tough because as a magician, and I'm going to speak nerd here for a second, <laughs> you're going to know what I'm saying. As a magician, you, you have, there's, there's four levels. There is what is difficult becomes easy. What is easy becomes reflex and the level above reflex is magic. That is, that is how I was trained. Uh, there's an excellent magician named Jason Byrne who really like taught me that, that you, uh, B-Y-R-N-E, Jason Byrne. Uh, he headlines at the Venetian. He's a really nice. good buddy of mine. And he's, he's helping me with this next movie I'm doing. Oh, cool. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant magician. He's a, he's also a builder. Like he knows how to build all this oh, nice. gimmicks and stuff. Um, so, uh, I'm talking to everyone I know at the magic castle, which is a venue in Hollywood where the best magicians yeah. in the world gather. And I'm reading books and I'm talking to Jason. And the main thing that they say is they go, you got to practice with the rabbit as much as possible. And you have got to practice with the hat as much as possible. And you have got to practice with the table you're going to be using as much as possible. And you have to know where the camera is going to be because you, you, you can't like, as a magician, you can't just get thrown into something and expect to do it well and effectively because you need to like mess with your tools, you know, like, like even a good chef, if you just threw him in a kitchen and gave him plastic knives, it would take a second. Right. Yeah. So, and again, forgive me, I'm speaking nerd, but so the, the weeks leading up to me getting flown to Atlanta to film this movie, uh, I'm like talking to production going, is there any way I can talk with the director? Is there any way I can talk to wardrobe? Like, can I know how big the hat is and I know can <laughs> no. I know what I'm wearing can I know what the table is gonna look like can I know how big the rabbit's gonna be and everybody as kind and wonderful and delightful as possible is like we're so sorry it's just there's a million moving parts and the director is incredibly busy um we will try but we just don't have answers for you yet because we don't know because yeah. a lot in a lot of these movies, like they're not worried about the asshole magician that's in the movie for 90 <laughs> seconds. They're worried about making sure you and McGregor is like, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so uh, I remember talking to Aaron Moorhead about it and being like, what do I do? And he goes, you have to understand that you're kind of like a stunt guy. Like, what do you mean? He goes, the stunt guy doesn't go to the director and is like, Hey, when I fall out of the car, do you want me to like fall in a barrel roll? Do you want me to fall like feet? For-? It's like, dude, just fall and make it safe and fall out of the car safely. So that way we can get you and McGregor's yeah. close up, you know, like that's the deal. You have to know where you fit. Like in, in chicken soup, some people are the onions, yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, I do not get the hat or the rabbit or the table until the day of filming. 
So I show up and I get to see my hat. Well, I, that's a, that's a lie. I got to see the hat for like maybe 10 minutes um, during my wardrobe test. And I was like, okay, I know how big the hat is, but we have no idea about the rabbit. We have no idea about the <laughs> table. Um, they're like, well, we might have you use a table. We might have you use a chair. So I show up to set and Mike Flanagan is the coolest guy on the planet. Only superseded maybe by Trevor Macy who <laughs> produced that movie. Um, those guys are amazing, amazingly kind. They deserve every bit of good joy and goodwill and good juju that they have gotten. The fact that Haunting of Hill House is blown up, they <laughs> is so well-deserved. It is insane. Um, good things happen to good people. So uh, I, with terror in my soul, am like, okay, it's a $50 million movie and I've never done the thing. But also in my audition, I didn't do their sides. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just yeah. improv the whole thing. So now I'm like, well, do I go to Mike Flanagan who oh. wrote the thing? <laughs> like, like I haven't gotten to talk to the dude yet. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I'm there on the day being like, I don't know how to do the script because the only way I knew how to do it was to do it. Like if I'm at a four-year-old yeah. birthday party, and so I'm like, I'm sitting there being like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. and I'm going to get found out so quick. So uh, they go, okay, we have four bunnies for you to choose from. I'm like, great. Okay, good. Four bunnies. I go over to the bunnies and the bunnies are bigger than NFL footballs. <laughs> They're these like special breed of bunnies. They're like these dwarf bunnies. And the lady didn't know that the bunnies were going to be used for a magic trick. She just thought that like they it's needed... Bunnies. They just need bunnies for a four-year-old's party just to be a bunny. She goes, here are the four bunnies, but these three are really aggressive and they like bite the ball a lot. So this one, the, right? Yeah. So it's really just this one, which was the biggest of the four. And when you, when you put it in the hat, like here, I'll use this like bag. Like when you put it in the hat, it was like this, it like did not fit at all. And Mike comes over to me and I'm like trying to like make a gimmick with all my different stuff. And he looks at the rat and he's like, or the, the rabbit. And he's like, that is the biggest goddamn rabbit I've ever seen. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I think our magic trick just became a camera trick. And he's like, eh, I got cameras. You got tricks. We'll figure it out. So that was one thing that like finally made me calm down, which makes him yeah. a good director, you know, because you, you hear stories of some people being totalitarians being like, we flew you to Atlanta and I want that rabbit to come out of the hat. Right. Um, make the so, rabbit fit. <laughs> yeah. Make the rabbits fit, make it work. Uh, and so then literally seconds before filming, like maybe 90 seconds before filming, I'm staying there and I was like, okay, cool. So Mike, uh, remember my audition, how I didn't do anything that you wrote? And he was like, oh, no, yeah, no, that's, that, that's fine. Go ahead, do whatever you want. And I was like, so really? Good. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's fine. We'll just, we'll just film you. Do whatever you want. And the script supervisor very nicely comes over to me. He's like, um, could you try to do whatever you want the same time every time? <laughs> so, that, so that way we have continuity. Um, and, you know, we, we ended up doing it. And it was great. And it was amazing. And then the, the other little story I want to say that makes Mike Flanagan such a wonderful guy is I'm done by lunch, right? I'm done. Typically that means good, great, wonderful. You're going to get put in a car, brought back to the hotel. And uh, he goes, Hey, you're done at lunch, but don't go anywhere. I want you to hang out on set, hang out in video village. Oh, nice. Like, like you're, you're, so he, you know, he threw me a bone. And so I got to sit there on set for the rest of the day. He was like, anytime crew starts getting in a bad mood, do a magic trick for him. You know, like <laughs> so I'm like doing magic tricks in between takes for so some cool. people. Um, and, and here I got it. I got it in this room. Um, 
So my grandfather was obsessed with Stephen King. Yeah. Obsession is actually probably too weak of a word, right? He was <laughs> obsessed with Stephen King. And so if he knew he was, he passed away well before this, sadly, but if he knew that like I was in a film in the Stephen King universe, he would lose his mind. So, uh, I, I was telling this to Mike around lunchtime. And so he ensured that uh, a script was printed oh, with my name on it. And uh, at the end of shooting that day, he said for grandpa, George, best wishes shine on Mike Flanagan. That's so cool. Right. Because, you know, in the, in the shining universe, no one ever dies. They shine on if they have the ability yeah. and, and it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. And I, you know, and that's and that's the thing, you know, when when you look at my career thus far in this industry is is it's kind of like a drug. Like I've never taken hard drugs, but it's kind of like sugar, I guess, where like you're always chasing that wonderful feeling, you know? Yeah. You're always chasing that wonderful, wonderful feeling. And when and when it's not that, it makes it makes the sadness that much more sad because yeah. you know what life could be. Yeah. Yeah, in music, yeah. you call it post-tour blues. Like, yep. the tour finishes, and then it's depressing, and you're like, what do I do? What do well, I and do? everyone gets sick, too, right? Like, cool. after tour, everybody, like, physically gets sick. That's you're just like, because like, you got a cold for a couple days. smoke more than you ever do, and you don't sleep. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And you, as I talked to, to someone from the band uh, Violent Soho, who will be the episode before this, uh, an Australian rock band and he was like and you talk to everyone louder than you ever do you like shout over the music to your mates all night long yeah. you get yeah. home and your body just goes no I'm not having any of it yeah yeah your body is like Misael give us water please yeah it's called water Sleep. you <laughs> need water yeah absolutely um I try and keep the podcast uh, around the hour length but there is something one more thing i want to touch on sure i know sure. you do the the charity uh cause is it comedy for comedy yeah for cause? comedy right? for a cure yeah comedy, comedy for, for a cure. so it's uh no go ahead no no, no. I, I was interested in it. i was interested in in what it involved because i knew you were planning to do a marathon at one point and mm -hmm. if the plans had managed to go ahead with what covid like all that kind of stuff is interesting yeah it's it's really awful because of covid everything has just gotten derailed um so i feel like it was over here somewhere i don't know um so i'm friends with a, a gentleman named jim o'hare he plays jerry larry gary on parks and recreation yeah um and he brought me into the fold with tsc when i was new in in hollywood and i thought it was going to be this like fancy schmancy red carpet thing and then i just like we were talking about going to thailand i got hit with this slab of reality where it was this charity event and you hear about tubular sclerosis and how it it affects a lot of infants um and they're with it their whole life and some can be so severe that you know you're 25 years old but you still have the mentality of a three-year-old and some of it can be you're working and no one knows you have it Right. Which was, which is what makes it so tough. But, um, I, uh, I, I went to this charity event and then like six months later, I auditioned to be the voice of their cartoon that they were making and their comic that they were making. And so in my audition, I said like, Hey, this is Shane Brady auditioning. And I just want you to know that I've actually been to these events and this is a little near and dear to my heart. So I hope that you appreciate my audition. And they picked me because they liked that. Nice. And, and since then I've, I've always felt humbled actually that they have me be a part of it because like I, 
I this is how I feel, and it's also true that like I am not a celebrity. I am not Jim O'Hare. I am not Jane Lynch. I am not these big deal people like Kate Flannery that they bring in and Mo Collins and Alex Scooby and all these wonderful people that actually have pull. I'm just kind of like the fun magician that donates trips to the magic castle and I'll pick up the tab for dinner. <laughs> um, because all these people that go to these events are exceedingly wealthy because that's the point, right? You want to wait, raise money yeah. for the tubular sclerosis, uh, foundation. And so the one thing that rich people can't do is get into the magic castle. Because <laughs> get in there. So that's why I was like, all right, you want to go, you got to pay money for it. Um, but you know, it's all been virtual now. Um, stinks, man. It really stinks. COVID is rough because it, it has highlighted, you know, the financial struggles of a lot of people. Yeah. And, and it's, and you know, it's not just T T S C it's, everything that is really dependent on these awesome fundraisers yeah but also the fundraisers it's a great excuse to like make balloon animals for kids and everybody <laughs> gets together and like eats corn on the cob and you know you get to go enjoy the sunshine for a day so uh i really appreciate you bringing that up man um, it's, it was really cool it's it's one of these things where you you ask someone to come on the podcast for one reason and then you you research a bit and you find all these interesting things and and the podcast, the hour goes and you haven't even touched on half the stuff that you were planning yeah. on, but there's so yeah. like, yeah. And, um, and I'd definitely be up for chatting again. I think there's a lot more that we could, uh, that we could chat about. I wanted to ask also about, uh, burning up on VHS, um, because it's, oh, funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, you've, it, I, it's always really nice to talk to people who enjoy what they do. Yeah, and, yeah. um, you know, you've mentioned that like, you don't consider yourself a celebrity, but um, to people that that pay attention, like it's it's about inspiring. And I think that to me, I've learned to to maybe pay less attention to big celebrities and start paying attention to people that make you want to do stuff, right? To people who are doing things because they love it. And uh, that's why I like paying attention to these small films and the people within them. And like conversations like this encourage people to, to do stuff they want to do and that they love doing. And sometimes that's hard work, right? It's not easy all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I appreciate the hell out of that. I really do. And I'm not just saying that because it's a sentence you're supposed to say at the end of something like this. I do appreciate the hell out of that. And I, I would be more than happy to come on and talk more about stuff because <laughs> I feel like we've just scraped the surface. But um, I think if anyone is out there wanting to start something, um, or, or get into the arts, you're going to know what I mean when I say this. It's a mindset. You cannot say, oh, I'm trying to become an actor, or I'm trying to make a movie, or I'm trying to get better at this. It's like, no. Are you trying to quit smoking, or are you not a smoker? Yeah. Right? If, if someone's not a smoker, and you offer her a cigarette, they go, oh, no, thanks, I don't smoke. You know? If someone is trying to quit, and you offer them a cigarette, they're like, ah, I'm trying to quit. But they still identify as a smoker. Yeah. As where if you talk to somebody who's trying to make it in Hollywood, the first thing they will come up with is excuses. As where if you talk to somebody who is, is, is a creative, they will always be talking about the things that they're working on. That's it. Because it's who they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Ch change the mindset. And, and, and I say that as someone who needs to take his own medicine all the time, because like I said, I have my days. We need constant reminding. Yeah. 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 It's that's like why motivation conversation is bathing. Yeah. Motivation yeah. is bathing. You're supposed to do it daily. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. why, yeah, that's why I started this podcast. Cause I forget all the time and I need, I need to have conversations like this to be like, 
encouraged to to keep going and to keep at it right yeah uh, yeah shane thank you so much for coming on is there anything you want to plug anything you want people to go check out yes okay so there's two things uh there is a film called king knight that i will be in at some point this next year it's directed by richard bates jr um his his father who's a wonderful 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 incredibly awesome guy just passed recently oh. and if i'm not mistaken I'll, I'll email you uh i think there's a little like uh he, he worked for warner brothers so i think i think there's like a little commemorative thing going on but richard bates is the kind of ricky sticky ricky is the coolest guy ever if you want to just be complimented for an hour go hang out with ricky Bates. <laughs> he just does nothing but compliment you so that film is called king knight uh i filmed it like two years ago it'll be coming out sometime this year it's another indie guy movie nice. we filmed in 10 days um but i also want to plug everybody needs to probably a year and a half from now watch moon knight because you know aaron and justin are directing a couple episodes of that i um, saw i saw i'm excited <laughs> Right. And that here's okay. So like we're talking about synchronic and how like I can no longer help. I know <laughs> nothing about Moon Knight. I know oh. nothing because Aaron and Justin just live in terror of like, oh, we're in Marvel's world now. And anytime they're sent anything, it's like crypto <laughs> password, everything protected and stuff. Uh, no, um, it's been absolutely ace chatting. I'm excited. I've been taking notes anything you've mentioned i'm gonna go check out the people you've mentioned those films for sure cheers, um, cheers. and i will send you a link i'm gonna click um stop recording because uh i cool. think we've uh, said goodbyes i really hope you enjoyed that episode it was so fun to record thank you so much to shane for coming on um check out all the links underneath there's some amazing films coming up that uh you should be aware of and films that you probably want to watch especially if you've listened to this whole whole conversation and have missed any of the films we talked about uh let me know what you thought of the episode leave us a review tell your mates i really like hearing from you uh thanks to everyone who's got in touch in the last couple of weeks uh, i really really appreciate it um and yeah if you're thinking of starting your own podcast there's a link for Buzzsprout, that's what I use. Uh, if you go through that, it helps us out, that's amazing. There's a link to buy me a coffee. Um, and yeah, catch you real soon. <laughs>